Connection Churches podcast. You can be seated. Aren't you glad this morning that we don't serve a God who ever fails, but His love truly indeed, it never does fail. Are you glad this morning that you have that kind of God? Amen. Today, you may not be facing a kidney transplant. I doubt most of you are, um, but there's probably something in your life that you are facing. And the same God that brought Justin and Elena through is the same God that if you're in Christ, lives in you. And even though God never promises to bring us or or to, to save us from the fire, from walking through the fire, He does promise that He'll bring us through it and He'll make us more like Himself as He does so. And so today, I want us to celebrate as we continue the, the, the service with uh, the Word of God and we look into this, I want us to celebrate what God has done already in this service. But I hope, too, that your heart's been open to receive the good seed of this Word so that uh, it can produce fruit in your life. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into this second week of uh, the series Unstoppable. But my prayer is that today God would do exceedingly abundantly more than you even thought possible when you were walking in the doors this morning. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who does exceedingly abundantly more in our lives than we could ever think or imagine that you did more than we could ever think or imagine through Jesus. And right now, God, I pray that you would just continue to do that. Overflow our hearts with your love and with your grace. God, I ask right now that you would uh, just use your word, um, God, to produce everything in us that you have in mind. God, I pray our hearts would be open to receive it. God, I do pray that this would not be a good message. I pray, God, that it would be powerful and effective, not with persuasive words and speech, God, but with the demonstration of your power through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 There you are. I can see you now. Good. You are out there. Uh, Man, good morning. Glad you guys are here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. I don't have a lot of time this morning, so we're going to jump in and get going. Acts chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, they will be on the screen, the verses that we're going to read. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. uh, We left off at verse 11, looking at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, we've been in this series, Unstoppable, where we look at uh, how the Big C Church, the church that Jesus established, the movement that Jesus began, uh, is an unstoppable movement. It's a movement that uh, will continue forever. Um, but there are some things that, that can hinder the church. Uh, last week, we looked at hypocrisy through the lives of Ananias and Sapphira, and we looked at how hypocrisy and religion go together. This week, we're going to look at how many times uh, one of the hindrances that we have in the church uh, is uh, due to religion and persecution. As Michael mentioned, persecution is not just when uh, someone's killed for their faith. We often endure persecution as followers of Christ. And many times it can be from the fallen world, it's the sin world that we live in. It can be Satan using our sinful nature. Uh, Many times it's not the attack from the outside the church that's the worst, but the one from the inside. And we're going to get to some of that this morning. Um, First of all, I've got exactly 24 minutes uh, to get this done. What that means is you're going to have to listen fast, right? And, uh, and, and, and two, uh, I, I, how many of you would believe that I can do a message in 24 minutes if you've attended here? More than nine o'clock, but the ratio is about the same, about one in a hundred, right? And so, uh, yes, the ratio, and, and I didn't do it at uh, nine. I didn't make it, didn't quite make it. We're about 10 over, but listen, listen I'm going to ask for permission. Can I just preach this morning? 
and not worry about, can we just preach? And like, if you got to, yeah, if you got to get up and, and go check on your pot roast, y'all, y'all, y'all feel free. You're not gonna hurt my feelings. I taught youth for several years. You could light a cherry bomb and it wouldn't, it wouldn't stop me, right? Um, I'm, I'm used to watching kids pick their nose and eat boogers and everything else while I preach. So it's not gonna offend me if you get up. But, but here's the thing I wanna do. I want us to get into this. I want us to look at this and I want us to begin to uh, see what God would tell us through this text. Um, it's, it, excited about it just just excited about it and the first way i want to begin this is i just want to set up i want to talk to you real quick and ask you a question how many of you would say that in your life you have experienced the principle of cause and effect. You've experienced the principle of cause and effect. Everybody should raise your hand because you have, right? Because you got up this morning, you came to church, you're here. There's a cause and effect, right? Um, and so for me, I've experienced that too. And some were in very good ways. Like I finally got the courage to ask Susan, who is now my wife, out um, when we were very young and she kept me out of a lot of trouble. That was one effect. But two, I now have a wife who um, is the greatest wife ever in the history of wives, except that she loses her phone a lot. And other than that, perfect wife. And so, um, and they get run over in the middle of Highway 301. Other than that, great, awesome, awesome wife. So great uh, cause, I asked her, you know, I asked her out and the effect was that I get to spend the rest of my life with her. Um, what an awesome, awesome thing. Another one is that I did say yes to the invitation of Jesus to be in a relationship with him. Um, that was awesome too, because that meant I got to keep my wife um, instead of doing something stupid. It meant I got to have my kids instead of uh, forfeiting everything God had planned for me. And it meant that uh, uh, he, he was work he's working out his plan in my life. And so that was another great cause and effect. There've also been some that honestly uh, really weren't that good, right? Um, some of the causes and effects um, that I've had. When I was about five years old, uh, I was wanting to ride my bicycle and my cousin Dusty was riding my bicycle and I decided the best way to get him off was to remove his hands from the handlebars. And so as he came by, I jerked his hands off the handlebars. Smack, I was like, don't mess with me sucker. Like that right there. And uh, he, he cries, he cries. My dad takes me into the bedroom and the most dreadful noise you've ever heard is a belt whipping through belt loops. As you know, it is destined for your hiney, right? And so I got a beating, it, was, it seemed like eternity. It was only a few seconds, but it was all a blur. And, uh, and so it was a, not a good cause and effect. Some of you can relate to this. Some of you, you drank too much. You ended up running around, you know, crazy with your underwear on your head or whatever. And next morning, the effect was you were embarrassed. And so, um, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things we see in our lives. Well, today, what I want you to see is three different causes or three different causes and three different effects in three sections. It's actually something that the Lord showed me this morning um, as I was praying through how to organize this message. And the first ones are going to be in verses 12 through 14. And it'll make more sense, I hope, as I begin to explain it. But but let's just read verses 12 through 14, and I want you to see the cause and effect in these verses, and then we're going to keep going. Today, I want you to understand that religion and persecution often go hand in hand, just like hypocrisy and religion, religion and persecution often work together. And I want you to see this today. All right, verse 12 says this in chapter five of Acts, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And so all this powerful stuff's happening because of Jesus working through these believers. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And so we begin to see that there's some power taking place in the lives of these disciples. In fact, I'm going to show you what the effect of that power is in their lives in just a minute. But what I want you to understand is the cause of this is the work that Jesus did in their lives. See, as a church, we can't be the church without the power of Jesus already being in our lives. 
We have to come to a place where we say yes to his invitation or filled with his Holy Spirit and we begin to live that out. The cause of the way they're living and the power that's operating in and through them is due to the relationship and the way Jesus changed their heart, the way Jesus put his spirit in them and the way they began to live. And I want you to see the effects of Jesus' work in their lives. Number one is this, that the power of God was working through them. See, because of the Jesus' power in them, he was then working through them. I talked a lot about this last week. If you want to hear more about that, then go listen to that. The thing I will say right now is this. For our lives and for the church, which is not a building, it is the people, when people come to this gathering of believers, they should experience the power of God. It shouldn't just be some kind of get together where we sing a few songs, go home and nothing happens. The power of God, um, when we come together, um, he comes with us, right? And so we should begin to see and we should see the power of God at work in us. The second thing that we see in this is that there was togetherness. It says they gathered together at Solomon's Colony. They were getting together worshiping. They were sharing their experiences of God. In fact, I would tell you Christian fellowship is not just getting together and having a potluck dinner, right? Although those are very good, right? Uh, I won't turn that down. But the reality of it is it's more than that. It's getting together and sharing and encouraging one another in the love of God. It's it's showing each other the love of God. It's gathering together and, and, and encouraging each other in faith. See, what happens is you begin to share your experience of God this week with me, and I begin to share my experience of God recently with you, and what begins to happen is we encourage one another, and it's like this building up. Pretty soon, we both leave wide-eyed and ready to go tackle the world for Jesus because we have encouraged one another. And both of those things work together to cause us um, to be encouraged in love and faith and to create perseverance in us, right? So we encourage one another and we grow. That's the togetherness that they were experiencing because of what Jesus had done in their lives. The third thing that I see in this is there was a wholehearted pursuit of God. It wasn't something that they were just flipping about. It was their way of life. It's why the early Christians were called people of the way. It was a different way of living. It led, it, this encounter with Jesus led them to a different way of living. See, no one else dared join them, but God kept adding to their number. Isn't that interesting? There was something so different about them that people were like, hey, even though we highly respect them and they're good folks, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to do that. But, but, but then there were some, and this is like this today, there are some who are attracted to the gospel and there are some who are offended by the gospel. But the reality of it is, if we'll just preach the gospel, then those who are attracted will come and they will be saved. And, and, and that's what we begin to see happening in this. They were wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus. They were wholeheartedly after God. There was no sort of in and sort of out they were getting after God with everything that they had, so much so that it was changing their lives and was changing their community. The fourth thing I see in here is that it was the power of their message. See, this message of Jesus had changed them. What other message were they going to proclaim? Like, why would they go from the gospel of Jesus, that the forgiveness of sins, repenting of our old life, finding new life, if that's what changed them, why would they then try to give them seven steps to a better you, right? No, no they proclaim the gospel. You can go and look in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches the gospel. Um, he, he focuses on the resurrection. Um, Acts 3, Peter preaches the gospel again after they heal a beggar. Acts 4, um, you see that he preaches before the religious leaders the gospel. Acts 5. 30, 31, and 42, um, the chapter that we're currently in, we see him preaching the gospel. Acts 6, 1 through 7, they make structural adjustments to the organization of the church so they can keep preaching the gospel.
gospel. Acts 7, Stephen, before he gets stoned to death, um, before he dies, he's preaching the gospel. Acts 8, Philip preaches the gospel to, Samari- to some Samaritans, right? Who, who, who were hated by Jews, and yet they knew that this one message was for all people because Jesus had told them that you would go into all the world and share this message. Why would they preach a different message when that's the message that changed their heart? Church, if we want to see miracles, if we want to see people go from death to life, there is one message we can proclaim, and that is the message of Jesus who came to earth, fully man, fully God, took our sin upon himself, was nailed to a cross, died for you and I, taking the wrath of God that you and I deserve, was put in a tomb, three days later, punched Satan in the grill, walked out, and now is a ascended at the right hand of God making intercession on your behalf every time you screw up and his blood covering your sin and right now he's sitting there knowing that you are his and no one can take you out of his hand if you are a believer in Christ that is the message that we proclaim and a message of a new heart and a message of regeneration in which we become more like Christ because not because we try harder but because God changes our heart and we begin to become more like him and we see this happening in them. Another reason that this is taking place and what the effect of Jesus' work in their life, he caused them to be on mission. They were a church that had a very clear mission. You know what their mission was? To connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. They ripped it right off of us, right? And that's all that they were concerned with. Let's, let's tell them about Jesus. Let's, let's bring them into the throne room of God so through, through the blood of Christ so that they can experience reconciliation with him. And then let's get them in here and let's connect them to each other so we can grow in faith and become an unstoppable force to carry this great message um, through this mission to all the world. See, it wasn't about them. It, it wasn't about their kingdom. It was about God's kingdom. See, this is what bothers me when when we don't have enough people and kids to serve. It's not that that we want to just have a bunch of people serving. It's that we don't want to turn people away. We want to give a good example of of what the kingdom is about. We want to see, see see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That doesn't just mean some far away time. That means now through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why it bothers me when we can't have tables and things set up the way we we would uh, because we don't have people serving. Uh, It's not about you serving. It's not about you giving generously. It's it's not even about your money. It's not even about uh, you being in community. It's about what are we doing to grow the kingdom? Is it about our comfort or is it about about his kingdom? We have to ask that question. Because we've been given a mission, a very, a very clear mission to go into the world and to change the world for the glory of God. But we can't do that. See, God's power and pride do not go together. And many times we're so prideful that we won't surrender ourselves to him so that his power can re- work through us. And so we just stay stubborn and doing our own thing rather than surrendering to God and the things that he tells us. And my encouragement to you is this, if you would just surrender to God, if I can just learn that in everything, surrender to God, let it go, then his power works through us um, for, for your good, for my good, and for his glory. That's what he's called us to, is this mission of evangelism, this mission of connecting. See, all of these things were the effects in the lives of the disciples, 
from what Jesus did in them. But here's the really cool thing. I want you to see this. The really cool thing is Jesus moved in the lives of the apostles, but it didn't stop there. Once Jesus moved in the lives of the apostles, there was a, they became the cause instead of the effect, and they began to impact other people. So listen to the second section, which is in verse 15 through 16. It says, as a result, see, there's the transition word. As a result of what Jesus did in these people and then what he began to do through these people, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. See, those two verses summarize the effect of Jesus working through those early believers. You know, God wants the same effect. What do we see happening? People are being healed physically, yes, but much more than that. They were being restored to a relationship with Jesus. Um, Jesus shows his power over Satan, over the demonic. So we can't ignore that we have an enemy. We really do have an enemy that seeks to tear us apart and destroy us, not just hurt us, right? And so we need to see this, that Jesus conquered all of these things and now desires to bring us into a reconciled, restoring relationship with Jesus. So the effects we see in this is, number one, that people were brought to and introduced to Jesus. How many of you would like to see more people brought to and introduced to Jesus, right? That's the heart of many of us. That's the heart of this church. We want to see people brought to and introduced to Jesus, whether that's at your workplace, whether that's bringing them to church, whatever that looks like. We want to see that happen. We want to see that taking place. We want to be a part of the, the, the effect of Jesus in their lives by bringing them and introducing them to him. The second thing that I see happen here is that the masses were ministered to, yes, there were tons of people gathering, but the reality of it is that individuals were finding salvation. And it's easy for the church to say that we're not about numbers, and that's a politically correct thing to say. But the thing I would tell you guys is this, that it is about numbers. And, and the reality is we don't have time to be politically correct. Listen, hell is hot, time is short, and eternity is long. We need to be going after every number. And the most important number to God is the number one. It's the next person that he's saying, come into a relationship with me. It's not about being big. It's about being able to go after the one person. And that's what God calls us to. Another thing I see in this, the third thing I see in this section is that many, many people were healed. They were literally restored to health, but so much more. They said yes to the one who could heal the greatest sickness they had, and that was the sin in their life and the effects of sin. Sin always leads to death. You can think you're getting away with it, but you never do. It always leads us down a road that, that, that never fulfills all that it promises. Always. And so we see that they're beginning to be healed of this great sickness called sin that leads us all to death and they're experiencing Jesus and I want you to see like why why when we proclaim the gospel that God loves you he paid a price for your sin why would we not believe that I don't know why but I can tell you why we should believe it if someone in here had Ebola if you had Ebola listen God forbid you had Ebola right and somebody said I know a man who can cure your sickness would you ignore him what if, the, what if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I can cure that? Would you be like, I'm not interested? Why would you say yes? Well, the first reason you would say yes is if the one who promised had always been faithful to you. 
See, if, if, if the one who promises you something's always done everything they've said, then wouldn't you believe it when they said, I can cure you? Well, this is the thing I would tell you, every person in here, God has always been faithful to you. You can see it in your life. Some people call it common grace. Some people call it prevenient grace. But here's the reality. You're breathing right now. That means God's grace is operative in your life. You've got air to breathe. That means God, his grace is operative in your life. How many of you, if you were to be honest, would say, I should probably be dead by now? Right, 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 right. It's God's grace that has gotten you this far. Many of us, we put enough stuff in our bodies that they probably should have shut down and we're a walking medical miracle, right? That they have it. And, and, and as God's grace has brought us to this point, I wonder how many are in here that God's grace has brought you to this point, this divine appointment today, so that you would say yes to his invitation of salvation in Jesus. Because see, his grace is working through all of us and he has been faithful. Why would we not believe him when he says he can cure our sickness, our illness? And another reason you believe him is because you've seen him heal others, Right? And I hope that everybody in here, you've got somebody in your life that you look at and you can see how Jesus is changing their life. And so you realize that they're, he's, he's constantly healing them and restoring them from this sickness of, this, of sin that's attacked them. If not, listen, if you're a believer, I hope you'll be that for somebody else so they can see it. But if you see this, this person healing others, restoring them, going from victim to victor, would you not take them at their word? Another thing I, I think about with that is you see the courage of those who've been healed to go to the sick areas. It takes a lot of courage to go where people are sick, right? Usually you just drop off a care basket, knock on the door and run, right? Because why? You don't want to get the germs. But we see people going and proclaiming. We proclaim it week after week, this message of healing. And so we see the courage of people to proclaim it. Another thing we see is a passion in those who've been healed uh, to go and tell other people how they can be well. There's a passion in their hearts. It's just something that takes us over. We go from the attitude of whatever we have to do to the attitude of whatever it takes. You know how powerful the church would be if we would get away from, because of gratitude and in the grace of God, uh, that, that we would get away from, I'll do whatever I have to do. Or I, whatever I have to do to an attitude of whatever it takes, let's do it, to reach the lost. In fact, I would tell you this, if, we're as a ch if we as a church are not willing to do whatever it takes to reach the lost, minus sin, don't sin, but if we're not willing to do everything it takes to reach the lost, less sin, then I believe that we are in sin ourselves. We should be with, if we have to stand on our head for an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday so that the lost are found, then that's what we need to do. If we need to stand up in the seat and hop on one foot and turn around and bark like a dog for an hour and 15 minutes to reach the lost, that's what we need to do. Whatever it takes, save sin is what we need to do because there's a passion in us to go. The last one I would tell you is you see the confidence to continue the message, even in the face of discomfort. Have you sacrificed for the gospel? Have you experienced the cost to, to follow Jesus? Do you realize that to share this message, it does cost us? See, I have a, a, a guy I meet with, a mentor of mine, who he always tells me this. He says, listen, and when I'll tell him something I'm struggling with, he'll say, listen, I want you to know if you're not being shot at, it means you're not over the target. You say, in fact, if you're not being shot at, and in other words, being persecuted in some way, um, somebody coming against you, then you're probably not over the target. You're probably not doing what you are supposed to be doing. 
And say, I'm not surprised by the fact of persecution. I'm not surprised that people come against us. Whenever God begins to move, a good rule of thumb is that um, right after him, Satan's coming, right? He just does. You begin to draw close to God, guess what? Satan's coming. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The spirit of God in you is greater than what Satan can throw at you. Just keep taking your next step and keep following God. But he's going to come. And trials and tribulations are going to come and persecution is going to come. And we see in this that what we've seen so far is because of the work of Jesus in the lives of the apostles and those first disciples, he began to work through them so that other people's lives are impacted in, in, in drastic ways. We also get to the next one and look at verse 17 because here's the third section. When you look at verses 15 through 16, what you see is as a result of what the apostles did, these people's lives were changed. And then there's another result that begins to happen. Verse 17 the title of this section in my Bible says the apostles persecuted. But verse 17 begins with then. You could also write in there as a result. So basically what he's saying is as a result of what was happening in these people, um, persecution began to break out. Because of what God did in them and now is doing through them, um, persecution begins to come. So listen to this. Let's read verse 17 um, and 18. He says, then the high priest... Or as a result, basically, the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So basically, their fate got them arrested. And I want you to see real quick that, that there are four ways, there are four attitudes, there's four emotions that I see in this next section that, that characterize religious people. See, I'm not surprised that persecution happens. I'm surprised by how the number one way that Satan persecutes the church today is not from the outside in. He knows that really doesn't work. When the church is persecuted from the outside, it flourishes. But from the inside out, he takes and he uses religious people. As you look at this text, it was the high priest and all his associates, the Pharisees, all these different people, members of the party of the Sadducees. They were just different groups of religious people. And you know, today, God still uses religious people to attack his church. We see it, we deal with it all the time. It's people who, one, maybe they've never experienced the grace of God, or two, maybe they've forgotten that it's all about grace and not about rules, which is what we would say religion is, is rules without a relationship. And so we see this happening. The first one we see here in these verses is jealousy. We see jealousy. How bad does jealousy hinder what the church would do? How bad does Satan use that to hinder the message and mission of God today? He uses it like crazy. It's such a huge issue, such a hindrance to the kingdom today. See, in the big C church, the, the, the universal church, the worldwide church, we see it. It's why churches can't work together because we're jealous. What if they get bigger than us? What if, what, if, what if our people leave and go over there? Well, guess what? If Jesus is working over there and he's not working here, then we probably need to be over there, right? Yeah, if, if, we're not, if we're not growing in Christ, then we probably need to go find somewhere else to go. But because of jealousy, we can't do that. Jealousy keeps churches from working together. Jealousy keeps churches from throwing all their eggs in one basket and saying, let's just put all of the little fine line things aside and let's go after Jesus together and let's transform a community. Because if somebody else grows, aren't they better than us? No, it means that God's doing something in and through them, right? And if we'll get our heart right, he'll do something in and through us as well. 
We see it also in the Little C Church, the local church, churches like Connection Church and other churches. Uh, you see people who just can't celebrate and rejoice with other people in times of plenty. Maybe, maybe somebody goes and gets a new car or a new truck. And, and, and the first thing that people will say is this, well, I don't know why they couldn't have given that to the one-in-one campaign, right? You don't know what they've given to the one-in-one campaign. You have no idea. You don't know what they give, but we get so jealous over what other people have what other people do, what other people think. One of the things that's been a struggle for me uh, lately has been the fact that we, uh, you know, we bought a house, we finally bought a house, praise God, and, and we were able to buy it at a really good price in a foreclosure, and we were able to do some things to it, but you know, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, because I know the email's coming. Well, they must be paying you a whole lot, preacher, right? And the thing I look at it, I'm like, really? Really? We get so, so jealous. And so here's the reason we're jealous. Jealousy is not because somebody has more than us. It's that their more makes us feel like they have more value and worth. It's not about the stuff. It's about we think that because they're prettier, because they have more money, because their husband's different, because their wife's different, because they have the perfect kids who never do anything wrong. I don't have those. And and, and those... We, we think that somehow that adds more value to them. But see, your value doesn't come through what you own. It comes through the one who owns you. It comes through Jesus and his, his, his faith or his value that he places on you when you come to faith in him. See, he's the one who establishes your value. He's the one who establishes your worth. Nothing on the outside is God inside who tells you who you are. And so we need to understand that. Jealousy begins to hinder God. Listen, if, if I show up next Sunday and you don't come back, which is good, possible after we get out of here and all the food's gone. Listen, here's the thing I would tell you. It doesn't change my value and worth. Why? Because my value is not in how many of you show up it's in Jesus who gave his life so that I could be set free from sin and death so you don't have to be bound to those things the next one we see and for the sake of time I'm not going to read it all but in verse 24 it says see they come and they arrest the apostles for preaching the gospel and they lock them up but an angel comes lets them out and tells them keep preaching and in verse 24, here's the response. Here's, what, here's the effect that has on them. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. They're like, what's going on? You know how many people walk in church every week and they've been around church all the time, but they don't really understand what's going on? Like, why the big deal about salvations? Why the big deal about baptisms? Why the big deal about Jesus and, and all this? Why the big deal about uh, when people uh, uh, take their next step? What's the big deal? And they're confused because they don't understand. But the confusion comes because we've never really had this experience of grace or we've walked away from God and the fact that it is about his grace, his unmerited favor in our life. And so, so many times when somebody will tweet, hey man, we had two people give their life to Christ today. They went from death to life. Well, why y'all got to brag about it? I'm not bragging, I'm celebrating. If I'm boasting to anybody, it's Jesus who just took two people from death to life. Why you got to show all them baptism pictures? Because we're going to celebrate what Jesus does, but it ticks religious people off. Why you got to talk about, why you got to be so excited? There's no way y'all could be excited all the time. Absolutely, we are. And I hear people say, well, you're not even yourself when you preach. And, and I used to think they're calling me a hypocrite. You know what I realized? It was that when I get up here, I'm a different person. And, you know, I, if you put me up here to talk about being green and recycling, I wouldn't be nearly this person that I am right now. 
You put me up here even to talk about baseball. They wouldn't do anything for me. You put me up here to talk about um, uh, anything, hunting, hunting dogs, whatever, stuff I love. I'm not this passionate about it. People are like, why are you yelling? Because I'm trying to get you to hear a message about a man who changed my life. I'm trying to get you to hear a message about a man who will change your life. I'm trying to get you out of confusion about this man, Jesus, and into a relationship with the God who will change your heart, give you a new way to walk, give you a new life, and do more through you than you ever thought imaginable. That's my heart. That's why I'm passionate about this. That's why I want you to know this God. The next one is in verses 25 through 28. 25 through 28. And, and, and the apostles keep preaching. And listen to this in verse 28. The, the religious leaders, they say, we've given you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, they were guilty. It was their people who put him on the cross. But you know how many people, religious people today, we're living, we're living with a sense of guilt. But the Bible is true in Romans 8.1, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, when you said yes to Jesus, he covered the sin you committed, the sin you were probably committing at that moment, and then the sin you were ever going to commit. And that gives us a catalyst to live to godliness. The Bible says that it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And so we come into this relationship with God, and we realize that there is no sin, there is no condemnation for me. My sin has been covered and there's no guilt that remains but how many Christians do we see that look like they just sucked on a lemon right like an old mule just chewing the cud don't know why he's wearing a ball hat up there playing that electric guitar right or are you a five-point Calvinist Calvin wasn't even a five-point Calvinist I mean, so many of these things are like, just like a, a splinter under your fingernail. Small, but just so irritating. Don't live in guilt. Don't have this rules-based mindset without a relationship with God. You're missing the joy. You're missing it all. Experience His grace. And don't walk away from His love. The closer we draw to Him, <laughs> the, the more we become like Him. Don't miss the joy of that journey. The last one, and we're out. Verses 29 through 33. Verse 33, when they heard this, that the apostles were continuing to preach, it says that they became furious. They became angry. You know, the church is known more for what we're against than what we're for. We just seem to be angry. You ask people, what's the number one way you would characterize Christians? They would say angry, right? And, and, and I don't understand it. But some Christians are angry at the church as a whole for something that happened to you in another church. And here's the reality. We've all, including me, had our bad church experience. I thought mine was going to kill me. I'm pretty sure it took about a decade off my life. But at some point, if it's not this church, it's another one, you need to find a church that you can trust and you get planted so that God can produce the fruit through you that he desires to fruit. Don't waste the potential that lies within you if you've said yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit's inside you. Get planted so that God can produce the fruit that he desires to produce. Another thing that people are mad about is because things aren't the way you want them. But guess what? Here's the, here's the reality, guys. And, and this doesn't settle well with some people. But the reality of it is I will not stand in front of God and be held accountable for doing your will. I will, be, I will stand before God and be account, held accountable for doing his. And many times we have to say no to good things so that we can do God things. I would highly recommend that for you. We're so busy, it's like our lives are being lived up, swimming upstream. We need to say no to the good things and say yes to the God things. 
and allow him to reorder our lives. And see, we need to understand that it's not about our preference, it's about his purpose. It's not about our desire, it's about following the direction of God. And so that we go and we do what he says, we, we don't worry about our comfort as much as we worry about his kingdom. That's what God calls us to. Some of us here are mad because we're under conviction and we're fighting against God. I've even seen people that I know, I know, I know, they were acting like they were asleep and the whole time it was their conviction. I could see their eyeballs moving under their eyelids. I'm like, you're not asleep. You just don't want to have to tell your wife what the message was about, right? And you're under conviction, you're fighting against God. Why would you fight the one who loves you so much and who wants to restore your soul? Why? Why don't you say yes, because I can tell you how that fight's gonna go. You're not gonna win. In fact, you can read on your own the rest of this chapter and see that the man by the name of Gamaliel, he he tells them this. You can fight against him, but if this is of God, you can't stop it. God is stronger. Why won't we let our pride down? Why don't we say yes to God so that he can begin to heal us? Why don't we say yes to God and lay our pride down so that his power can work through us. That's what we need to come to is this place of walking in the power of God where our hearts are set on fire with passion for the gospel. See, the good news of all of this, of Justin and Elena's testimony, the good news of of, of all of this persecution that we see and how the devil tries to destroy the church from the inside. The good news of this is that the disciples overcame it all. It continues and the book of Acts, and not in a scriptural sense, but in an active sense, continues to this day. And the reason it does that is because every single thing that we face, Jesus overcame on the cross, including our sin, including death, including the devil, including every form of persecution he would bring against against us, including the trials and tribulations that we may face, Jesus overcame them all. And because of that, through faith, you and I will as well. The great news is for those who are in Christ, the best is always yet to come. No matter what you're facing today, he never promised he would not take us through a fire, but he promised he would get us to the other side. And I'm telling you today, if you're in Christ, the best days are ahead. The best days are ahead. I want to close, I'm going to close with this. Listen, listen, listen. I want to close with this. I want to ask you two questions. Have you ever been healed of your sickness, your sin, uh, the death that that has brought into your life? Have you ever said yes to Jesus and and, and turn from your old life, turn from your sin and turn to the God who gives life? See, see, turning from sin is important, but it's even more important who you turn to. So if you turn to your sin and turn to me, that's not worth much. But if you turn from your sin and you turn to God and through Christ, you, you, you come into a relationship with him, then what happens is you become a new creature in Christ and he begins to change your life. And he begins to do great things through you. He begins to use you. But have you ever said yes to the healer? Have you ever said yes to Christ? The second thing I would ask is this. This this is really for those who are believers. Are there symptoms in your life that point to a sickness in your heart? We get a cough. We know that we've got allergies or something going on. Is there something in your heart you need to bring to the healer that's hindering you from life, from living it to the full? I'm gonna ask you again though, have you ever said yes to the healer? Have you said yes to his invitation? I told you that was the greatest uh, cause and effect that's ever been in my life. And I wanna offer that to you now. I wanna offer that to you now. This is what I would say, you're here and you know, today's the day I need to say yes to the healer. Yes to Jesus, yes to forgiveness, yes to a new life, turning from my sin and turning to Him. This is what I would ask you to do. 
I'd like you to be very bold and let us celebrate with you this salvation that would come into your life today when you say yes to him. Would you, would you respond to that invitation today? Would you stand to your feet right now and be bold and courageous and say yes to him right now? Would you do that? Would you be bold enough to let us celebrate? See, we, we stand up with every high eye open and every head up. And the reason we do that is because this is not something to be ashamed of, it is something to celebrate. So would you do that today? Is God moving your heart in a way? Would you say yes to his invitation? Amen. Who else? Amen. minutes over is worth it we're going to pray with you guys and help you take your next step see this is not the end of a journey this is the beginning of a new life and we want to celebrate that with you we want to do that uh, life with you and we want to help you uh, any way we can Here, here's the reality guys um, listen some of us though we know there's a symptom in our life and we need to lay something down right here today and I'm gonna pray listen I want you to go two different directions when I begin to pray, I'm gonna pray a blessing over you as you leave, those of you who need to go and, and you're ready to go. You don't need to come here, although I think most of us probably do. For the rest of you who, who you know I need to come, I know there's some things in my life I need to deal with today. I'm gonna to ask you to come and you, you kneel right here and you pray and you lay it before Jesus and we're gonna have our prayer team and some of our connect group leaders are gonna come and they're gonna pray for you. Maybe you have a sickness in your body, a physical sickness. We'd love to pray for you for healing. When I pray, you can begin to go different directions. I ask you to do it reverently. Just, 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 just do it quietly so people can have their time with God. We do love you guys. And I want you to fulfill the potential that God has in your life as you follow Him and live for Him. Thank you for being patient with us today. 13 minutes over, but you know what? Two salvations is worth it. So let's say a prayer and you guys can go. I pray that many of you would come for ministry today. God, I thank you for your life and your grace in this place today. I thank you for the saving power of Jesus. God, let us have the patience and the courage to walk with those who say yes to you. God, let us have the, the courage to, to, to walk alongside them. God, uh, just do continue to do a great work in us that you can do a great work through us. And when the persecution comes, Lord, let us keep our eyes on you. Let us just keep our eyes on you. Bless these people as they go and as they come to the altar and give them strength and peace and power as they follow you this week. Let us be your church in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.